And we're live with Angular Air. My name is Ken C. Dodds, and with me are a couple awesome developers. And we're going to be talking about uh, Angular internals uh, with uh, our guest, Tara Parvinian. Oh, man. I, I just get nervous. <laughs> so yeah, there's Tara. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, we just barely, I just barely practiced his name again, and I just can't get it. So I'm sorry, Tero. Um But uh, he's the author of NG Book, and uh, or not NG Book. Sorry, that's um, uh, that's not totally, it. Yeah, totally different entirely. No, Tero is the author of uh, uh, Build Your Own Angular, and so he knows a thing or two about the internals of Angular, and so we're gonna learn and talk about some cool stuff. And then we also have our panelists, uh, Amy Knight and Pascal Precht. Hello. And Olivier Combe. Hi. And Olivier is wearing an awesome shirt. <laughs> yep. So that's, you too. Yep, I am too. Uh, this is from the Teespring campaign that ended uh, about two weeks ago. Um, and yeah, um, as a, a pre-pick, before the end of the show, I'll, I'll just pick Teespring because that was like a totally awesome experience. It took me like 10 minutes to set up the campaign and then I didn't have to think about it except um, being super excited. So yeah, anyway, um, there are nine people in the world with these very rare t-shirts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so hopefully uh, I, I'm planning on doing another campaign for the Angular Air t-shirts. I'm actually also doing uh, stickers on Sticker Mule. Uh, hopefully really soon. So, yeah, look out for that. Uh, before we get started, some additional announcements. So next week's show is June 9th, same time, same place, with Jonathan Turner on Angular with TypeScript. So Jonathan Turner is the TypeScript uh, team lead uh, or project manager or something. Um, he's awesome. He spoke at NGCOP about TypeScript. And uh, we may have uh, one or two developers from the TypeScript team um, on that show as well. And as always, follow us on uh, Twitter and Google+, Plus uh, to keep up to date with the latest stuff. And actually, if you go to follow.angular-air.com, you will be taken to our Twitter. So woohoo! Um, OK, so let's go ahead and get started into the stuff that actually um, everybody's interested in hearing about. So Tero, why don't you talk to us about um, who you are, where you work, uh, what, what you do, and then we can go into your book. Right, so yeah, I'm, I'm Tero Parganen, a sort of independent software consultant from Helsinki. I, I've been doing programming professionally for, for about a decade, or actually more, more by now. Um, for the past, say, two or three years, pretty much front-end exclusively, and, and a couple of years ago got kind of heavily into Angular, and uh, have been kind of on that path since um, I also, when I first started learning Angular, I found it quite difficult, which is why I started to to learn the internals as well, because that's what I usually do when, when something feels too difficult for me. And uh, that's probably what has brought me to, to this show here. Wow, that's awesome. So if I could respond like that to something that's difficult, then that would be a good thing. But normally it's just like, this is really hard. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I do with most things. But uh, when you're sort of bought into the idea of that it's probably very good, you just don't understand it yet, then it's something you, you probably want to invest in. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and um, it's really cool that you shared your learnings with the world with uh, Build Your Own Angular. Can you talk about that book a little bit? Sure. So, so the book Build Your Own Angular is, is, is a book I'm writing and, and self-publishing, which is all about sort of reverse engineering Angular JS and, and writing your own sort of version of it from from first principles, from from nothing, essentially from just JavaScript and, and some Lodash, and it's a very kind of methodical approach to learning the framework by by doing test-driven development, writing failing tests for the next little feature you want to add to it, and then writing enough code to make that test pass, and doing that hundreds of times over, uh, and in that process. Uh, coming up with with a version of, of Angular that you don't actually need, but but that helps you understand what's going on in the real Angular framework. And uh, I'm almost done with the book. It's it's a six month project I started 18 months ago. I'm almost done by now. Uh, it's it's coming up to I think I think a thousand pages or something. It's much bigger than I anticipated, but it's been fun, and I think people have. Have, have also gotten value out of it, so, so it's, a, it's a nice project to have been involved in. That's awesome. That So it's it's totally a test-driven development book. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. So out of curiosity, how many tests are in that book? Do you know? I haven't counted, but but it's, it's some hundreds probably. It's 19. <laughs> actually, of the actual text of the book, test code is probably it's it's a lot more than the actual production code, at least, but it's I think even more than than the pros in the book because it takes a lot of setup often to test test things and the tests are really where you where you kind of figure out how it should work because that's where you sort of have the external effects of what you're writing kind of written down. It's it's the same thing as happens when you do CDD with with any project. Yeah, I, I actually I find that um, it's it's interesting you say that the there are more tests than pros in the book um, because I, I find that like with Angular formally and the developer of that project um, for a long time when people would ask questions on the GitHub issues I would uh, just try to use words to explain how things were working um, or how to how to do something properly um, but I, I started to make uh, JS bin as an example like this is how you do it. Um, and accomplish what you're trying to do, and like that was like far and away much easier to do um, for them to understand and for me to to illustrate my point uh, to use those examples. So that's consistent with my experience. So Great, yeah, programmers understand code really well. That's right. Theo, can you can you tell us um, in like how you started? Like so. When you when you take a framework like AngularJS, there are like a lot of concepts. And uh, yeah. is there like did you start it with a did you start with a kind of structure which topics you want to cover first, or I don't know like maybe you jump right in right into the compiler stuff, or like mm -hmm. what was your kind of approach to to write that book? Well, I it's sort of because in, in the framework. Kind of one thing builds on another, so I needed to start with the things that everything else pretty much depends on, which with Angular seem to be the the scopes, the, the watches and digest and things like that, the change detection mechanism essentially. 
that's what I started. But also I started with that because it was what felt to me kind of the most magical thing about Angular. The thing that you, when you don't understand it, it feels like how could anything like this work? And uh, so I wanted to sort of demystify that first. And it actually started with an article. I wasn't writing a book to begin with. I wrote an article about watches and how they work. And based on the response I got to that, I started with the book. And after that, it's been kind of based on what depends on, on, on other things and taking just the, the order from, from that. It's sort of, you, you can't do like templates, for example, without doing HTTP first and things like that. There are dependencies. That, and that, that, it, that affects the, the order in which I write these things. Cool. Yeah, that's that's actually super interesting. Um, so when when I think it's kind of like the same thing when you when you give trainings or when you do workshops on Angular, uh, especially when the framework um, comes with testability in mind, and you actually should embrace test uh, testing. Yeah. It's it's kind of tricky to find out where to start. Like um, you need this this starting point to 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 get something to get something done, but at the same time, you want to start as early as possible with, with, with testing. And uh, yeah. I, I think writing a book about that stuff is kind of the same thing. You have to think about wh which like which part of the framework uh, can you start with so that it makes sense and, and, and that you maybe you don't have to necessarily test it in, in the first place. I don't know. Uh, but I, I can imagine that this is kind of tricky. It is tricky when you're, when you're training or, or when you're writing, like when you have to kind of minimize the amount of forward references you make. Like that, there is this concept you don't understand it yet, but just ignore it for now. Like you don't want to have to say that too much because it, each time the people learning it have to kind of put that away in their brain. Like there's this thing that I have to remember to pick up later, which I don't understand yet. And it, it's tricky to find the, the order of things and still make it interesting without kind of having to spend the first day of training on, on mundane little details that don't end up to anything interesting. There's a balance, I think, there somewhere. I kind of had a question building on what Pascal said. Um, so sometimes when you're learning something new, you're kind of told, especially, like, I'm a somewhat newer developer, um, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of, like, take things at face value. Um, that the other pieces you'll kind of put together later on. Um, and it's always kind of like hard to gauge when you're teaching yourself something new uh, when to not go down rabbit hole and when to go yeah. down that rabbit hole. So I'm curious like how you were able to gauge uh, like when to go deep and when not to because I really love the idea of what you did. Um, I've used that approach for learning other frameworks um, like literally reinventing exactly what they did because I felt that that was a valuable way to learn but you know sometimes people don't agree with that or you know or sometimes it's hard to know where the line is. Yeah there's definitely a, a balance there like because we don't have time to, to invest this kind of do this learning approach with everything that we use because that's just too much too many things but with Angular it looked to me like based on what I was hearing from, from other developers and customers that it's going to be around for a long time, that it's going to be something I probably use for a long time. And it felt difficult enough that, that I couldn't sort of pick, pick it up on a level I need to by just 
doing the normal thing, which is reading tutorials and things like that. Because it happened to me before, like I, I, I spent maybe five or six years doing actively active Rails development, and never during that time I fully figured out much of that framework. Like there was always this magic involved where I don't understand what it's really doing when I call this method or something. And that made it just unpleasant to use where, where when things don't expect as I, I th things don't behave as I expect them to, there's always That's actually exactly what I was yeah. referring to was in Rails. Right. I had Oh was I, it? Okay. Yes, I built I was tired of like just doing gem install and trusting exactly what it was doing. So right. I decided to like build my own engine so I could understand what these were doing. Right, yeah, so it sounds very much like, like what I did, yeah, so, so yeah, with, with Rails and frameworks in general, like any kind of bigger technologies, there's just so much that when you don't understand them, it, it makes you go more slowly and you, it, it's just not pleasant to work with something that feels magical and you end up with like a lot of superstitious code, basically, where you, I kind of probably have to call this method and do these things in this order. I don't exactly know why, but this other person is doing it, so I probably have to do it as well. And then there's all, the, all this kind of uh, craft you end up with when you don't know exactly what, what you're doing. So with any technology like that that's big enough and complex enough, I, I think it makes sense to at least try to do some of some of exploration of the internals. That you just made me think of scope on apply. Right. <laughs> That's a perfect example. And there, there are a lot like the the bigger the framework is, the more magic uh, you just wind up relying on, and the more you copy yeah. paste from Stack Overflow. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So it's and, it's, and it's not magic. It's not magic when you just look at the code. Like people often have this tendency to to not treat the kind of libraries and framework as a, as a black box. So you have this JavaScript application where there's your code and then there's all these libraries and you only understand your own code and the rest is kind of magic. And it turns off, often turns out when you actually go and look into those libraries and framework, it's just more code, like similar code as, as the one that you're writing. So there's nothing special in it. And when you're using it a lot, it makes sense to try to look, look at what's going on there. So for example, when you use Angular, during development, use the non-minified version of it and and just step into it in your debugger or just put console log statements in there because then you can st kind of start to understand what's going on on that side of, of the code where, where your code ends and somewhere else's code begins. What I like uh, about Angular is that on the doc website you have these links to the source code of uh, what you're uh, reading. And lately, I've been clicking on this more and more, and I've been learning a lot just by comparing what they do, and especially for you know, directives, for example. Um, when I try to do something and I think, oh, this is maybe almost like ng-include. Let's see how they do it. And yeah. you learn stuff that isn't even documented. And yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so with directives, it's it's more more so than with anything else because that, that API is just so huge and everyone has their own style of using it and one of them is, is how the core team uses it and and that's probably not a bad bad uh, example to to look at what what i what i found interesting was that uh, 
the other day, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's quite long ago, where, where I saw this tweet from, from Boita, and, and mm -hmm. he said something like, okay, so the, the compiler code of Angular is like the most complicated code he's, he has ever seen. So, and that was the tweet that basically kept me away from digging into that stuff because I thought, okay, so when he thinks it's, like, super complicated, how should I ever dig it? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I never really digged into it. Yeah, it's scary. Boy, if that compiler code is so confusing, then I, like, I'm super freaked because uh, the, um, I've stepped through the digest loop a couple times, and, like, to me, that's pretty complex, too. Yeah. Like, they're using labels in their for loops and, like, all kinds of jumping all over the place. It's it's creepy. <laughs> but it's yeah, but, amazing. But then then you have, like, people like Table who came up with uh, compiler talks at, at conferences that make things so clear all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the trick, trick about that is to ignore 90% of what's going on in there and focus on one thing. Because, for example, compile.js, it's just... It's a huge amount of features in that file. It's, it's like a thousand lines of code and hundred functions, and it's so obviously wasn't designed to do all those things that it's currently doing. It's, it's that makes it like really really complicated to try to figure out. And what you what you need to do is when you are trying to learn how to say just the core compilation works, is just learn to ignore most of the code. Like say there's an if directive dot transclude somewhere followed by a thousand lines of code, or maybe not a thousand, but two hundred lines of code. You skip that part because you don't you're not interested in transclusion. And uh, that's that's how I did it. it. It took me a long time but 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 I think I pretty much understand most of it now. Just in time for it to go away with Angular 2 now. Nice. Perfect uh, actually I, I I want to get into Angular 2 but I, I'm not uh, um, that would be such a good segue. But there are a couple other things that I want to talk about before we get into Angular 2. And it uh, looks like Scott Moss just joined us. Hey there, Scott. Hey, Scott. Um, so the, the next question that we thought about asking, I, I think this is a great one, um, and I don't know who wrote this down, so I'm just going to ask it myself, I guess. Um, but how is studying the Angular source code helpful, and how do you get started uh, studying the source? Hmm. Well, I wouldn't recommend studying the source code to anybody who didn't already know how to use it very well to begin with. That way you need something to reference. Uh, if you just jump right into it, like, you're going to be like, what in the fuck is this? Uh, so definitely, like, you should have some experience of using a lot of this stuff before. So with that being said, uh, to get started, what I did was I started with the thing that didn't make any sense to me at all at first, and that was, like, the scope stuff. I always want to know how that stuff automatically gets bound and creates watchers and stuff. So I started with that, and it's just a rabbit hole after that. And then that just leads you down this branch of things that you have to figure out. Uh, and then that's pretty much what I did. I always just started with something to reference. Um, and I did it straight on GitHub. I didn't even pull the repo down. I was just like on GitHub going through the stuff uh, and uh, the comments and stuff. And then like I hit up somebody who was part of the, the team, like, yo, I have no idea what the hell this is doing. Like. I need you to tell me what's going on here, uh, and then, like I just didn't stop until I heard back. So um, that's that's what I did. And as far as like helping me, oh man, if you, I mean, it's just like anything. You you first you learn how to use it. So I mean, now you can get paid to do it because you know how to use it. Uh, and then if you know how it works, then you can develop opinions, right? And anybody with opinions is awesome, 
right? So like once you start developing opinions about this thing, now you look like a badass. So I mean, it'll just help you solidify your understanding, help you be a lot more faster, and obviously help you like debug a lot easier too. And talk at conference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not definitely the first thing you should do with the framework is to go to the source code because you, you exactly you have to kind of use it first because then you can connect that the code into what's actually going on. And. Uh, but yeah, as, as we talked about earlier, it does help when you're just developing with it to, to have a mental model of, of what's going on on the other side of, of that API barrier. Right? Actually, when you call a method or, or when something happens, you know what's going on in that part that you didn't write. Because that, that you don't have to go by the external behavior in that case. Yeah, I, I found that uh, uh, the, the most benefit I've had with going through Angular source code has actually just been in the debugger. Like, you put a debugger statement right before you call scope down apply and then just follow it through and, and see what happens. Um, there are some places like compiling a directive, like where do you put a debugger there? But like, the, it, it can be really, really helpful um, to figure out how the framework works by, like, I know that I'm doing this thing. What does Angular do when I, when I do this? Is, is it bad that I don't ever use a debugger? Oh my gosh! You're just reading code on GitHub. I also console log does does a lot of the same thing. You just when you have the Angular JS kind of source code editable in your project, you can just log stuff from inside Angular functions. See mm -hmm. see what what the current uh, arguments of the function are and what it's doing. That, that helps a lot if you don't use a debugger. Kind of the similar trick, but 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 the, but I think that it's it's useful to not just read the source code, but to actually study it in action while it's running. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. One one additional trick I, I, I use when I actually want to go deeper into some feature is to is to find from from the from the Angular GitHub uh, project or from the cloned Git repository the code that you're interested in interested in and git blamed because that gives you the last commit that, that will touch that code somehow. And Angular happens to have this kind of really well-maintained Git history. It has the best I've ever seen. Like every commit in the Angular Git repository it explains what went in there and why it went in there. And, and furthermore, it has links to GitHub issues and pull requests that, that were closed by that commit. So when you Git blame something, you find the last commit that touched it, you follow the links to GitHub, you find usually there's this big discussion about why this commit was made, like what were the reasons this code was ended up like it, like it did, and what other alternatives were there. And usually there's like real gems that comments from the core team there that, that explain like why, why this thing is like, really want to understand not only how something works, works but why it works like that. In GitHub issues in, in Angular, there's a huge amount of information about that. Awesome. So um, maybe you can uh, take us just down the, um, the skeletal closet of Angular. Um, and well, like from, from your exploratory experience in Angular uh, source code, what would you say are the best parts of the code base, like the most impressive and elegant, uh, and what are the worst parts, like the most scary and nightmarish? 
Well, the best, I would say, probably is the, the digest, uh, just because it's, you know, it was so magical until you actually read, and it isn't that magical or, or even that complicated compared to many of the other things. And, and it really adds value when you learn that, because that helps you understand its performance characteristics so much better, like what's, what takes time and memory and what doesn't when you know, know how it works. And, and the code there isn't, isn't hugely complicated. There are things like promises that have, have the same kind of characteristics that, that they, they are sort of, you don't really understand how they work until you actually explore the source code. Of, of promises, and that's similar, similar piece of the framework in that it's not huge and it's not, not it's not hugely complicated. As to the worst, uh, probably well, compile JS would be it because that's I've spent ten months on it, learning it now. I'm still not quite done, and it's it has this. We all know from the API that it obviously wasn't designed like that. Things were added over over the years, a little bit by bit, like this flag and that flag. And there's never been like an overhaul of that thing until now with Angular 2. And that exact same thing you can see from the implementation, like this, these nested functions and, and these kind of well, just branches in that code. The branching factor is very large. There's just not not only a large amount of code, but it's also complicated code. And that, that I would say is, well, you could say it's the worst, but, but it, it's at least the most complex and difficult to grasp. So you've mentioned the, the digest cycle. Um, now that you really understand what's going on there, uh, not sure. only theoretically, but also really in, as in, you, you read the, 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 the source code, um, do you have any any tips on, like, any, any performance tips that we don't see in the interwebs currently? Like, something more than just keep the watchers uh, down or, or low or, I don't know. Probably not, not like, hugely spectacular things. Like, they're, those things that people say about it anyway get reinforced when you, when you learn it. Like, using deep watching is, is expensive, not only because of the data structure walking that needs to happen, but because of the copy memory that Angular needs to keep of, of your data when you use deep watches. The same with collections only on, on updated data with only on one level. And uh, it's really things like that. Uh, there, there's this one trick. I, I, I don't think I've ever really used it, but I've mentioned it to a few people, which is when you call Digest as opposed to apply. That's that can be a little bit faster because apply always goes to the root scope and, and runs all the watches in your whole application. But digest only starts from the scope that you call it on and goes down from there. It doesn't go to any other siblings or, or parents. That's some kind of micro optimization that, that you can apply when you know what you're doing. But to be honest, I don't remember actually using it. And, and can you can you also uh, say something on um, the the track by feature in, in the ng repeat syntax? Why is tr using track by such a big improvement for performance? Um, 
I know, no. I, I don't. Okay. I haven't written about ng-repeat, so I haven't studied it. <laughs> I think, uh, it, unless somebody else has some comments on this, if, if I understand it correctly, TrackBy uh, just tells Angular how to check equality of items uh, in the array. And so, um, by default, I now I can't remember. I, I believe that by default it'll check the, in, um, like, a, do a, a deep watch on each item um, if it's like you're iterating over an array of objects. And so it has to um, do a deep equals on each one of those objects to see to make sure that it's equal. But if you do a track by, like if you have a list of users, then you say track by user.id, and then it just does equality um, on those IDs. Or if it's like if you can verify that you're never going to change the order of these items, you could do track by dollar index. Um, and that would be like just like super fast as well. But um, yeah, I, I think most of us um, have seen, there's a, a post, maybe we should link to it, um, about um, how React.js is super fast, that's for sure. Um, but there is one particular example that has been used to demonstrate how slow Angular is in comparison to React. And um, in that example, they weren't using TrackBy. Um, and like that's an easy thing to miss if you're not really familiar with, with the framework. Um, but by using TrackBy, it like sped up the Angular example, like so you could almost not even notice a difference. Um, but it made it like super super fast. So um, Olivia, you posted a link in, in our comments. Could you post a link to the Hangout so people can go yep. uh, take a look? Um, that was a good, an interesting post. So yeah, also the uh, the track by helps out too when you when you go get new data, right? So if you're tracking by the ID, let's say you go to the server and you come back. Uh, you know, Angular knows, like, like you come back for the server with the same data set with just a few additions. Angular knows the elements that are already in that list and don't have to create them again and update the DOM, so that saves on performance as well. That makes sense. Cool, thanks. That DOM, man. <laughs> cool, so let, let's talk about, let's shift over to Angular too. Um, so, I know that Pascal's actually got quite a bit of experience with Angular 2, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, and I, I've done a little bit with it, but uh, Tara, you, you said at the beginning of the show that you, uh, or before we started, that you've delved into the source a little bit. What can you tell us about differences and improvements? A little bit, yes. I haven't gone that deep into it yet, but there are a couple of couple of things that kind of jump out immediately when, when you try to see a little bit what's going on in there. And the first is, is sort of more obvious, and that's it's written in TypeScript, as we know. And whatever you, you may think of TypeScript, uh, it's, it's undeniable that when you're reading the source code, it, it's, it's a big help to have type declarations in that code, especially in function declarations. Like looking at a function declaration, you can see immediately from, from First line: What are its arguments? Types of its arguments, and what does it return? What? That's like a huge thing where you can probably skip reading the rest of the function if you, if you can sort of figure it out from from that alone. This doesn't happen with Angular one or in, in pretty much any any JavaScript code. Really, you have to if you want to know what type an argument to a function is, you kind of have to look at the function implementation and see what it's doing with it. Does it call a method on it, or what does it compare it to, or what, what is it really? 
and, and that that happens a lot with 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 Angular One source code with me. Although the documentation is pretty good for the external facing functions, but you don't have it really for the internal functions. And 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 also since it's 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 dynamically typed, people often do take kind of advantage of that and and have return values that are different in different cases of functions that that uh, sometimes return objects and sometimes return functions or, or whatever. And that having having to write your type declarations like you do in TypeScript kind of immediately points out to you that that's probably a bad idea and people don't do that. And uh, that's one thing. The the second thing about the Angular 2 code base to me, it's, it just more obviously feels like it's designed. Like the Angular 1 code base is, is Something that's that looks like something that's grown into what it is today. Like it started from something very small all those years ago, and, and things have been added to it to some parts more elegantly than to others uh, until it, it, it is the thing that it is now. But again, returning to compile JS, it's, it's obviously not was wasn't designed to be the thing that it is now. When you look at the compilation code in Angular 2, it's this kind of collection of, of tens of different classes that have different roles and responsibilities in, in the compilation system that do certain well-defined things. But there's this whole thing of object-oriented design that has obviously gone into Angular 2. And there's there's no afterthoughts in, in that design, at least not yet. And everything that's there seems, seems to be there for a purpose. Uh, that, that really helps in learning it, although it might not be that good for book authors like me. Nice. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead and pass, uh, do, do you think that, like, rewriting the Angular 1 source code uh, in ES6 or even TypeScript would help out then? I mean, I mean, mm. because then you also would have types and, and classes and everything. So if, if, if that makes the code... Uh, easier to understand, then maybe this is something that, that, that should be done. Because, so, so when, when we, um, like, a lot of people don't like Angular 2 because they, they see the new syntax, they see TypeScript, they see ES6 classes, and then they are like, oh my gosh, what's going on there? But it turns out that you can write your Angular 1 code today with almost the same syntax. Right, you, you can use ES6. You can use TypeScript. Um, there are even projects that lets you use um, a, a ES, ES7 decorators in, in Angular One, and then you can basically write your Angular One application in a way that it looks like Angular Two code, but it isn't. So it's really just syntax in the end. Mm. So um, yeah. I, I wonder if actually maybe it, it should help if Angular One is also slowly moving to something like ES6 or, or TypeScript. I don't know, what, what, what are your, your thoughts on that? Well, I haven't really thought about it, but, but I think, yeah, adding type signatures to where it's possible would probably do no harm, at least. It would probably be actually very useful, I mean, at least as an exercise, if not, not into the production code base. Right? Why not? Because it only helps. Uh, as to to some of the other things in ES6, like classes, that may be a bit more difficult since it's the code base is not really class oriented at all in Angular One, at least not to not how 
that's not how I see it, and it would be difficult to, to retrofit some of the class-oriented features of VS6 into it without affecting the API, which, which you, with the Angular 1 you can't can break. But types, yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting thought. Yeah, I um, actually, so with Angular 1, like, I've noticed if you just look at a file, you'll see random, like, global functions that they're calling here and there. Like, the, yeah. at least when, when you first look at it, you think it's random. You're just like, well, where did that for each come from? And, like, they have a ton of utility functions um, that they use throughout the code base that are actually... Like, it's not going to be global on when you actually use the angular.js file, but, like, as part of their build, they may expose these, these global functions inside of their own code, um, which I think makes, uh, probably makes maintaining that code base a lot more difficult, as well as having, like, a thousand-line compile.js file um, yeah. just in it of itself. Like, and as you said, like, it didn't, didn't start out that way, um, but suddenly somebody needs this, or they find this weird bug or edge case, and, and you make an if statement, and, you know, and there you go, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's evidently kind of also written before any 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 same module system existed. Like, it, yeah, it, it all, it's all concatenated into, into this one function closure inside, which they have essentially globals internally for the framework that, that you can call from any file in Angular that, but are not exposed. But yeah, you end up gripping for things when you when you try to find where where something is defined. But don't let that stop you people listening and watching from contributing to Angular. It's actually not like crazy difficult, um, and it's really rewarding. Uh, so do it. And we actually have an episode on a contributing to Angular. So go check that out if you're curious. Um, yeah, yeah. The thing about Angular is that you don't have to understand everything about it to, to contribute on something because it is. Although it's it's kind of grown into into the thing that it's, it wasn't supposed to be, and and and, and I, I, it isn't really as bad as it may sound based on that. Like it, it isn't the quality isn't that bad in, in that code base, in, like comparing to the most of the code I've written, for example, during my my career. Like uh, it's all relative. All right. Awesome. So I. Um, I think it's coming about time we should probably get into Q&A um, and uh, picks and tips. So unless, does anybody else have uh, questions that they wanted to ask before we um, move on? Well, I had two listed in the, in the deck, but I don't know yeah, if you have can, time. Uh, you can go ahead and ask those. I think yeah. that might be pretty quick. So um, you said that uh, with Angular 1, you started with Scope. Where would you start uh, if you had to write a book on Angular 2? Ah, that's a good question. I would probably have to write a couple of applications before I really felt like where where would I... what would I want to figure out first? But um, to me, it probably feels like I would start with something that doesn't exist in Angular 1 or is very different in Angular 1. And that, that something might be zones, for example, because that's kind of a low-level utility that, that many things depend on, but, but it doesn't itself depend on many other things. And a little bit does feel like magic when you look at what it does. 
so that's that's probably not a bad starting point. Yeah, actually, if you start your book on, on this one, I will read it because <laughs> I really want to know how it works. Yeah, me too. I, I think Tiro first has to clone himself in order to get <laughs> right. Yeah, well, it'll, 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 well before before the build your own kind of book will 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 uh, surface for Angular too because it's it's the kind of book that only is useful when people have kind of written a few applications and and it also requires a relatively st stable co code base like you don't want to be rewriting chapters all the time which we would have to do right now with Angular too but maybe someday yeah right and and that will come with the Terra two dot two right so. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll uh, we'll be maintaining Terra one dot four for a little while too. So. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, that, I, w I went too far there. I think. <laughs> so, okay, let's go ahead and, and get into the Q and A. Um, we do have one question. Um, this is from uh, our ever so faithful Jeff Welpley. Um, he says, you obviously know Angular one inside and out. Have you looked into two dot internals? We kind of talked about that. And then he asks, will you have a 2.0 version of your ng-Vegas talk? Which we should ah. probably link. I, I'll, I'll go search for that while you're answering. Yeah, maybe maybe at some point. Uh, I touched on this earlier, which is that the Angular 2 source code happens to be a lot, a lot easier to pick up, which means that it might not need that, that kind of talk as much as Angular 1 does, because, because it's easier to, to, to learn it. But yeah, why not? I, I was kind of planning at some point to write a sort of what happens inside the Angular 2 directive compiler article, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Uh, and one of the reasons was that between two, two weeks when I started looking for the first time and the second time, it has, has changed quite a bit. So it seems, seems a bit early to go into the internals of Angular 2 at this point because they're changing quite a bit. And rugs out under your feet as you go. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be um, that'd be a good talk, I think. So, in the future. All right. Um, let me just make sure. I think we've got all of our questions. Um, yeah. If anybody else watching has questions, ask them now. I'll keep the Q and A up so that we find them. But I think we're going to go into picks and tips. Um, so, let's start with Amy. Uh, do you have picks and tips for us? Uh, I have a pick. Uh, it's been a pretty popular article, um, but it's an article on promises, and it just proposes like four different scenarios and asks that you uh, ask whether or not you understand how the four different promises work, and then it just slowly goes through, uh, like walks you through why they're all different, the right way to do it. So uh, maybe people have read this already, but if you haven't, it's definitely worth checking out. So that is my pick. Uh, programming related, I was also on vacation last week, so I was going to pick like a non-programming related thing, which is like good southern barbecue cooking. <laughs> so I have uh, a pick to a restaurant if you're ever like in the south or something. It's a really good barbecue restaurant. So that's my fun pick, and that's it. Great. Thanks. Olivier? Um, so I was going to talk about um, the React uh, versus Angular, but so you mentioned it already. Uh, and also, um, I wanted to to promote um, readme.io 
uh, we talked about it in another episode. Uh, it's a really cool website if you have to write documentation, and it's free for open source. Uh, so please write good, good, good documentation, and you can use this. And my fun pick is um, if you had, if you have the time, uh, try The Witcher 3 because uh, it's like one of the best games these days. So, enjoy. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> is that a double pick, Pascal? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Because actually, that's perfect because I don't have any picks really. Ah, well, th th there's one thing. Um, Polymer 1.0 has been announced at Google I/O, and uh, I haven't checked it out yet, but I think everybody should. So that's my pick. Awesome. And I forgot to remember, or I, I think I forgot to remind everybody, make sure you put links to your picks in the Hangout um, if, they're, if links make sense um, so people can go see them. Um, I'll go ahead and then, Taro, uh, you can go. So my picks are, I have three. Um, my first pick is Taro's talk at NGNL. Um, it was a fantastic talk. Um, yeah, actually, four of us were there um, and witnessed the awesomeness of this talk. So. Yeah, go, go check that out. Um, I'll, I'll link to that. It's called Inside the Angular Directive. Um, I already linked. You, uh, oh, you linked it already? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm going to link it anyway. Ha! No, just kidding. Um, so my next pick is IWantMyName.com. Um, they have excellent support. I just did a... Oh, oh sorry. They're a domain registrar. Uh, I think they're in Australia. Um, but they're fantastic. Very, very good service. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where I host all, all of my uh, or do all my domain registration. And I just had a like a problem, and they answered my question like super fast. Really good support. So that they're good. I want my name.com. And then my last pick is um, mostly programming related, I guess, but also happiness. Um, so emoji in comments uh, or in commits is just a fun thing to do. So as you're making your Git commits. Um, I have a link to um, some ASCII emojicons, um, which are really awesome, emojicons.com. And then um, if, um, like using actual emoji, like the smiley face and stuff, uh, is also fun. So do that, um, and people will enjoy your commits. And disapprovallook.com, Olivier just uh, sent that to me. That's also a good one. So those are my picks. Taro. Yeah, so I have two picks. Uh, the first one is a programming pick, which is David Nolan, the, the uh, maintainer of, of ClojureScript. It goes by the Twitter handle Swanodet. Um, he has a bunch of really interesting talks online about front-end architecture and, and what he's doing with ClojureScript and immutable data structures and, and React. And those are like really, it's a very different approach to uh, handling state and change in, in uh, front-end applications, and it's, it's really, really mind-bending stuff uh, if, you, if you kind of want to expose yourself to new kinds of, of ways to do things in the front-end. He has been recently, based on his, his tweets, exploring how to, how to connect that with, uh, with the um, Facebook, Facebook Relay and Netflix JSON graph, so, and I think he's giving a talk about that in, in, a, in a few weeks in, in Europe culture, so. I'll be looking, looking into that when it comes out. My second pick is, is, is a music pick. There's, there's a new album out by, by Jamie XX. 
I think just this week, uh, called In Color. It's um, if you're into electronic music or really any electronic music that, that has come that has uh, come out in the last 20 years, and especially from the UK, you you're, you'll probably enjoy this because it's it's a very uh, it's an album that's very aware of its roots and it's it's a very kind of for any, anyone who's who's enjoyed kind of the rave culture and, and and things that have gone on in that culture in the past decades, you'll like that. And yeah, I do have a tip as well, which is has to do with transclusion. Uh, I've been studying that for the past few weeks, and I, one of the things I have learned about that is that inside the transclude option in directives, there are actually two completely different features hidden in that. There's the kind of normal transclusion that you enable with transclude true, which which gives you, gives you the, the the option of of including parts of one template in another template, which is usually what we mean by transclusion. But there's also this other uh, way of using it, which is to use the transclude with the values element, the string element. And that's actually for a completely different purpose. It's not including a template in another, but it's for doing things like ng if and ng repeat, where you actually need to control when linking happens and how many times linking happens for a certain directive. You basically can defer the linking of, of a certain element, which is what ngif does, or do it for a number of clones of that element, which is what ngrepeat does. And that's enabled by the transclude element option. And there's a great comment that explained this by, by Caitlin Potter on, on, on the Angular GitHub, which, which I'll link to, which, which I never understood how what this actually was for before I read that comment. That was a great, great uh, bit of learning that, that happened for me in the past couple of weeks. Wow, that's awesome. Caitlin Potter, um, we need to have her on the show. She is really, really smart. Um, yeah. Awesome. OK, uh, so I think that's, that's it. We didn't get any other questions. Uh, so. Um, I'll just close with a couple announcements, um, and then we can say goodbye. So tune in for our next show next week, same time, same place, uh, June 9th, with Jonathan Turner on um, Angular with TypeScript. And um, he, we may have a, a TypeScript developer on the show as well, but uh, Jonathan is the, the lead on that project, um, and he gave an awesome ng pump talk recently about that. Um, and then. Uh, again, always, as always, um, at Angular Air is our Twitter, and um, follow us for updates. And then our website, angular-air.com. And um, yeah, uh, oh, and uh, stickers. Olivia wants stickers. Uh, <laughs> he just chatted to me, so we will have stickers eventually. So um, stay, uh, uh, follow us to to keep up to date with that. So uh, without any further ado, I think uh, we'll just say goodbye. So. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.